Hello everyone and welcome to Final Show. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've just got a few pre-show notes for you. First of all, I want to let everybody know that our addresses have changed. Uh, our Twitch channel has changed from Sinstaku to twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms, and our YouTube channel has also changed to youtube.com slash finalshowfilms. Next, we want to thank our $20 tier supporters on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash films, by the way, if you want to go throw a couple bucks our way. That's going to be Cat Waterflame, Antitonic, Samantha Bates, and Maureen Monty. Thank you guys for that. Also, our website is in the process of getting updated. So go take a look at finalshowfilms.com. We've got Mara and Jeremy are working on updating all of our stuff there, making it look nice and like a modern website, and frankly, they know what they're doing far better than I or Austin ever did, so if you want to check out the things that are changing over there, you go do that. Follow us on Twitter, at Final Show Films, for updates uh, for all future things, including things that are going on with our website, and going on with the Patreon page, and things that are going on live as we stream them, uh, as well as our podcasts and everything else, so thank you very much for watching, y'all have a good day. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 42, uh, which is episode 41 of Critical Role in the Ruins, or in Ruins. Eventually, I'll get smoother at this. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter, and joining me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy. I am at jthomas411mania on the Twitter machine. And the episode that we're covering today stars Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Marisha Ray as Keelan, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, Matthew Mercer as a Dungeon Master, and special guest appearing Jason Charles Miller as Garthok. Uh, when last we left off with Critical Role... Shit went down in spectacular fashion. Yep. A dragon attacked Grayskull Keep, then Grayskull Keep attacked Grayskull Keep. <laughs> it happens. Hmm? I hate it when my castle attacks it. <laughs> in the Black Clover universe, that's more literal than it sounds. Anyway. We're not doing that. <laughs> And, uh, 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 name appeared. <laughs> Laura. Laura. Drake Thunderbrand. Laura and Drake Thunderbrand appeared. Laura Gall. To hear. Laura and Drake Thunderbrand appeared to sort of break the tension of the party. So we pick up, uh, with, uh, basically a continuation of the conversation from last week as all the players remember the things that they had said previously the week before. Yep. Um, uh -huh. And they continue on that conversation, ending up with, uh, which then turns into a debate about how to move forward. Several plans are uh, put forward, either going in and attacking Thordak while he's by himself, which is immediately put, which is immediately uh, put, uh, said no to. Uh, hunting, down, <laughs> hunting down the other dragons and killing them, which is then responded to well, within, with, well, then Thordak will just come and kill us. 
um, sending Scanlan in to spy on Thordak and become the little alien Muppet thing that Jabba the Hutt had on his one side. So should have <laughs> happened. Which was that agreed to by brilliant. which was agreed to by everyone except Scanlan. Uh, <laughs> and I feel Matt Mercer. <laughs> I mean, he didn't really vocalize one way or the other. No, but I feel like that would probably have been something that would have been <clears throat> as the DM you tend to disagree with. Let's send one person off to be the long term spy. I mean, at that point, I just sort of look at the player and go, are you okay with your character dying? <laughs> right. Right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can just fast forward to the part where he's flambe. Yeah, we can just skip to that. Anyway. Um, they uh, uh, also, Allura also stated that she and Drake were going to head to Westrun to try to salvage what was going on there. Allura also revealing that there were a couple of different bastions of knowledge that might hold insight into how to deal with Thordak. Those being <clears throat> Vasselheim uh, and the Cobalt Reserve, which was in Westrun. Uh, and where Allura would be going. And at this point, I did want to just point out that um, for some reason in fantasy settings, almost universally, the wizard is the exposition machine by which we get uh, hitherto unknown or unhinted at information about the world. And I, I and, and logically, I understand that that's most likely because the wizard is the smartest person in the room. But you two... What what other reasons do you think there are aside from that, or is that really just the only one? So there's a couple of reasons for this, and I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's the smarts that matter in this case as much as being the most informed about the outside world. There are a lot of reasons why it depends on the kind of knowledge being imparted. Um, whether, like in this case, it's well, here are some other repositories of arcane knowledge that might be useful in dealing with these dragons that were, you know, th that that were some of them trapped and, and all this other stuff. That is very clearly, you're not going to go to the monk for that necessarily, unless the monk is very specifically like, uh, using Matt's world, a a a cobalt, uh, cobalt monk, yeah. Um. So so in, in situations like this, obviously it makes a lot of sense. There are definitely times where it makes no sense, and it's a lazy crutch of well, this is what happens, or this is what happens in fantasy stories. So my Gandalf stand-in is providing you with the information um i think there are there are, there are there are in character reasons for it to make sense as a rule because again wizards being the wizards and and uh, people of definite magical power will generally be regarded as those with who are very well informed as a rule so your primary characters, your party in a role-playing game, or your, um, you know, your 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 main protagonists in most other things, 
are going to be more likely to accept them as being in a position of authority to know these sorts of things. Whereas if you just take, you know, that shifty ranger over in the corner who isn't necessarily sure he's great with 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 leading you on leading you through a through a dangerous woods but there's no reason to expect that he would he would have this kind of information it, it, it strains credibility a little bit more um i think that tends to be the reason why it is a bit of a crutch especially like i said if it's not appropriate to the situation, it's just a catch-all of I use Elminster or uh, uh, Raistlin or what, uh, I can't believe I can't, uh, Big B or someone like that. Um it does. It is. It is interesting for me from a from a GMing perspective, uh, though, that it's it's sort of a it's a it's a trope, I guess, uh, that is sort of self perpetuating um, mm -hmm. within. Oh yeah. Like within uh, in Grand Terra, the party doesn't know what's going on. They turn to the wizard in the party, and when the mm -hmm. wizard in the party doesn't know what's going on, he calls on a more powerful wizard. Yep. <laughs> because that's what we're used to. I mean, that's yeah. how self tropes do self-perpetuate. Is mm -hmm. that when you're dealing with interactive kinds of things, it's the same thing in Eberron. You got, you know, with the exception of somebody who has a a an increasing tendency to contact outside planar deities, <laughs> um uh the the group has questions they go to i you know they have questions about about the the magical stuff they go to uh eladrin or they 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 go they they ask uh um alex or they talk to Aaron, who is an artificer um it's just uh, those things perpetuate themselves because the more that kind of thing is established, the more your players and the more your readers will accept the idea of we need information, find the guy with the beard and the pointy hat. Well, and but I would I would counter slight uh, to approach it from a from a, a marginally different angle that the beard and the pointy hat are not the the key component in this trope it's the spell book um the so when you are talking about knowledge particularly knowledge that is not part of the run-of-the-mill everyday life experience sort of knowledge in most fantasy settings you're talking about secrets arcane information uh bits of lore and history that have been hidden or, or forgotten by the vast majority of the populace for centuries, that sort of thing. And for knowledge to travel through time, you either pass it along generally by oral tradition or you write it down. 
Now, in a low-tech, non-pre-printing uh, press setting, books are a luxury. They are not the sort of thing that you buy in a shop. They're the sort of things that are commissioned the way you would a sculpture or a tapestry. Because for the vast majority of individuals in a pre-literate society, books have little to no practical purpose. So there's no reason for them to proliferate because most people can't use them and the majority of people don't see the need or aren't in a position to benefit from the information contained therein. So if you have that sort of setup, the people that are going to be most likely, because when, when you're trying to reveal information and determine what the vehicle is going to be in a, in a, in a narrative construct, the person to present the information is nine times out of ten the person who has the information. There's the whole, you know, God speaking through mortals thing and that sort of thing that happens on occasion as well. Um, but in this case, I would say the wizard is the one who usually produces it because the wizard is the one who has spent way more time with his nose in books than anybody else in in the group, anybody, any of the other characters. And so at that point, he's present the the wizard is generally presenting it by default. They're the only one who does know it because they're the only one who has the backstory that makes sense for them to know it. And especially when you're talking, guys are talking about like Grand Terra and things like that, we're getting to the stages in the game that power creep has gotten us to the point where we're no longer nearly as concerned as to possibly, you know, the cause of a odd illness that seems to be afflicting a minor percentage of a little hamlet down the road we're talking big esoteric interplanar metaphysical sort of things and the common perception of the wizard is those are the people who concern themselves more with that scope of problem and knowledge whereas the rogue is the expert that you go to when you're trying to hide from the law in the city or something like that so i would say that is tends to be the reason in in my mind more of why you get the wizard uh except i'll also say that i don't like this trope because i am of the opinion that the wizard is your academic who probably should be characterized more as specializing in a few very specific fields of stuff and I miss bardic knowledge checks, let's just say. I mean, bardic knowledge checks are things that can still happen. It's just we don't have any bards in the party. Right. <laughs> and, and Our the, party, specifically, yes. And and the one rogue that we have, I would not trust to give information about avoiding the city guard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah. So, like, because for me, when I'm talking about exposition in a narrative, I'm trying, I generally have a few, I have a battery of questions that I run myself through. Who am I expositing to? Because my vehicle for exposition to the audience is going to be very much different than my vehicle for exposition to the characters in the story. Also, what type of knowledge am I trying to exposit? Because if it's something to do with the local area, the natural environment, that sort of thing, I'm going to be defaulting probably more towards the rogue or the ranger, depending on whether it's urban or rural. 
um you know druid would work for rural uh, exposition for the local area as well um if it's exposition about the local culture or about the people um or something of that sort i'm looking at the bard and the cleric usually um and of course if we're talking the esoteric woo woo uh creepy weird stuff then it's the warlock and the wizard of course um and if it's exposition about the tactics of the enemy then i'm generally eyeballing the paladin or the fighter you know so it's i would say exposition via wizard is a trope but it's a very narrowly applied one but it is one that pops up a lot and one that might in my opinion pop up probably more than it well, and that's that's actually brings up an interesting point about exposition in and of itself uh, how we define what exposition is because uh a lot of the times all the things that you just listed off uh i don't think people think of as exposition like uh, a fighter analyzing the ranks of the enemy and coming down to give us a few quick lines about, you know, oh, you know, they've got so-and-so over here and so-and-so over there. It's something that happens a lot. Like any, any and all war movies, there's always someone who pops their head up out of the trench, takes a quick look, drops back down if he doesn't get shot immediately for dramatic effect, um, and then... Mm-hmm. And then reveals the information he received but we don't we don't tend to consider that exposition although it actually is in in, in a certain in a certain way um mm-hmm. so it may just be more that the trope isn't it's not so much that it's a pervasive trope that always you know always has a wizard so much as it is the only time we ever consider it to be exposition is when it is somebody actively spieling off about stuff that they didn't just look at and see. Right. Yeah. And that's why I'm thinking it's more the books thing, because, you know, like if you think Buffy, Giles is your exposition engine for the most Mm -hmm. part, you know, and from the if you if you deconstruct Buffy according to classic fantasy archetypes, he's the wizard kind of, you know, Um, he's the because you know, he might not be the most talented in terms of power or magic, but he's the guy with the 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 vast academic knowledge of all of these things. Um, I can think of any number of other uh, yeah, his like his properties his, where right. his listed power is knowledge. It's like that's a right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his power set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do you, anything to add, Jeremy? No, no. I, I already said mine. Right. So, we move on. Uh, Alora and group... Uh, Alora and Drake take off, heading for Western, um, and the rest of the group decides to use the, utilize their secret tunnel. Insert relevant pop culture reference here. Um, from... <laughs> Great episode of Avatar. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Um, they use their secret tunnel from Grayskull Keep to Iman. A secret tunnel that they had constructed, was told, were told that it had been constructed, but have never actually seen or used. Um, which is a really great bit of tunnel ex machina here. Um, yep. <clears throat> that they, uh, that they ha- have, that will take them under the wall into Iman proper. 
uh, uh, as they have decided that what they need to do before making any plans is actually go out and do some scouting and see if they can find any relevant notable survivors like the Emperor of Amman or Gilmore. Those being explicitly the two people that they say they want to find. I mean, they're two important people to find. They are two very important people to find. It's just kind of funny to me that they don't think of anybody else. Um, I mean, I like that, actually. I don't know. It's, um, it's not a bad for, thing. It's just funny. So this actually touches... I, 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 I almost wanted to uh, uh, brought up when we were talking about the fact that this opened with more, 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 more debating and planning. But... So when you when you have a group and and I'm not going to say that this comes from personal experience running a game recently but when you have a group and you present that group with options to options to advance storyline This is more advice than anything, I suppose. And this this is whether you whether you're you know in in role playing game or obviously when you're writing a story and you're trying to <clears throat> present you know the presenting your your characters with options. Try not to give them too many. Relevant to this situation, to to what was just said, because you don't want to go out. It's exactly like that. If you're going out in the middle of a city that's under siege, you don't want to say, you know, Emperor or 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 Gilmore or Person X or Person Y or Person B, and have a list of twenty possible people. Because when you do that with a large group of individuals. All of whom, even if they are generally goal oriented as a goal, but uh, as a group, as Vox Machina is, are of many different mindsets, you're never going to get back to safety. Because the more options you present, the more that people are going to take those options. Um, or the more they will sit there arguing over which option that they should take. Ultimately deciding most of the time to take the one option that you didn't present and don't have any plans for. Um, you mean like sending Scanlan in to spy on the dragon? Exactly, which was rejected. Um, but you, you want to give, and in storytelling it becomes a problem because you lose focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're presenting the, the, you have to realize when you're presenting your, 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 your characters with options, you're also presenting the reader with options. Now the readers have to follow whichever way the characters go, but those readers are going to remember all of those other options. And those will be brought up later as drop plot points. Yeah. Or insert other criticism of things. Um, whereas from a re- from a from from like a, a more interactive standpoint, if you present them, if you present a group of four people with four options, they will probably one each pick one of the options, or more likely, 
One person will pick one option. One person will pick another option. They will argue about it head on while the other two just sit there and let them argue. <clears throat> um, so if you can narrow your options, and occasionally you don't bringing wanna... up one of the other options in order to break a tie that they or, yeah. or defeat any consensus they might have been at risk of reaching. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't want to railroad people. You don't want to. You don't want to do what I what 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 I say with with uh, something akin to both love and hate. Um, the 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 uh, the old school D and D module method of you go from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E, and nothing the players want to do that goes beyond that is allowed, or the characters, or whatever. Um, but you want to you want to try and keep the options relatively low, and it's going to work out better for 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 the characters and the players too, because. If they feel like there is just a whole world of options, they often feel lost. And like they don't know what to do at that point. If you have two, maybe three, <clears throat> then it feels like whatever they do is impactful. And something something that I've discovered uh from Jimming, that 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 doesn't necessarily just apply to narrative, like plot no, progression. No. That no, also applies to building a city uh, or yep, a yep. world. I've discovered that if you give 15,000 different places you could be from, uh, your character could be from, people have a difficult time. Uh, what you as the sort of writer might see as giving plenty of choice so that everyone can have a character that is unique to them and 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 a story that they want to tell ends up being well i have so many options i don't know which to pick As which I, yeah I have when to help narrow people help people narrow down from yeah because uh -huh. when when it's us looking at you know us as 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 actual people looking at a map in a book it looks small and finite, but you realize that if you're if you're if you're giving them every option of this the, of you can come from anywhere you want in Faerun. That's like mm -hmm. saying, okay, I'm making a World of Darkness game. I'm not telling you where it's set. However, you can come from anywhere in the real world. Yeah, and then trying to a not giving them, you know, the, the a, a a set of guidelines so they know what they're working with, but also B, then you have to figure out how to corral them all together in one place and figure out why the person from the people from uh 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 New Zealand uh uh Chicago Mexico City and Joburg and Antarctica, <laughs> because there's always going to be some motherfucker that wants to be from Antarctica. <laughs> Have ended up in the same place. I now want to make a my, my uh, Jack. I'm sorry to tell you, but my hunter character. There are no people groups native to Antarctica. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, yes, and for yeah, 
Yeah, because for me, when it comes to giving people choice, like I'm with you guys on the three, maybe four in very rare circumstances, five. But once you've given them those choices, make sure that they know only two of them are even remotely attractive. Yeah. You know, and and that that sounds limited from the outset when when you say it verbatim but honestly that's how most of us in the real world where we have a shit ton of choices generally live our lives you know there yeah technically there's absolutely nothing inherent stopping any of us from at least trying tomorrow to just get up and drive out of whatever city we live in and see what happens but are any of us going to do that? No. Because we have things tying us to the general sorts of choices that we're most likely to make. And giving those sort of ties in the setting for the characters is what helps you direct the flow of the narrative while still enabling your your players to feel and your 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 characters to to behave in a free will very choice based very open option rich manner also be also we don't do that because we're not characters in a jack kerouac no. um, this is fair right yeah says you which you know and it, it, you're not, dude. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> that may be my favorite moment on this podcast throughout the history of the podcast. Yet. Um, and it's and to be clear, this is not something that's easy. Like it is really hard to come up with a with with a limited number of selections and make it seem like you're not railroading. I am not somebody who practices what I preach on this aspect. <laughs> it's, I, it's really hard. I will, I will create, I will set out the plot and this is what happened. And here are some potential places that you could go, but by potential places you could go, I'm listing everywhere. Like I am very free form as in terms of 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 where the future of of games might go as a rule as a DM. Um a lot of times it's gotten me in trouble. Uh, a lot of times it it has made my games bogged down. Um it's something that I have been trying to get get right for God, how long have I been playing, running stuff? A long time. 25 years? Yeah. <clears throat> Something like that? <clears throat> it's not easy. Um, mm -hmm. But it is worth keeping in mind at the very yeah. least. Well, and like for me, my own style tends to be much more of, because I love the concept of the sandbox, that you have this area mm -hmm. that you're playing in, this range of choices, and you can literally do whatever you want. I tend towards a very small sandbox with very high walls, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and that's just what I'm comfortable with, um, you know, but like for, for, for my point of view especially coming from a fairly heavy world of darkness background and things like that there are very few stories that require anything bigger than a city 
Yeah. In my mind, you know, and, and this is getting into a little bit of the, you know, narrative deconstruction and the whole, like every there's, there's only a finite number of stories that humans can tell because they're all just recombinations of the same elements of other stories we've heard before. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but if, if too much freedom is bogging down your, your game, run a game in a small setting you know that's yep. that's kind of the the concept behind this whole everyone knows warlocks thing that i'm planning is that you know the entire world is one city now there's going to be a shit ton of things happening and the players in that game will be able to do anything they want and there's going to be a Asterisk. lot of different options a lot of different potential yeah but there are some hard and fast walls on this setting so i don't have to worry about is somebody going to decide that you know an an exploration to a tropical continent seven seas away is definitely what everybody needs to do and i'm going to have to reskin my whole narrative to now start taking place on board ship and across the waves and you know it's like no no, well but we know at least where the walls of the sandbox that's not going to work for everybody but it really works for me yeah well and also you don't want to you want to make sure present them with choice present present your players or your characters or your readers with uh, viewers with choices but and this okay this applies strictly strictly more to a character or a player standpoint don't if they come up with another choice that isn't impossible, don't just say no. Because there is a fine line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there is a fine line between <clears throat> giving, you know, giving a defined set of choices and module-based storytelling. Right. Um, or 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 railroading, as it's more commonly known. Um, and module-based storytelling makes it sound less harmful. I mean, yeah, it's. <laughs> you're right. Not, I should use railroading. You're not being tied. But, uh, to a, you're not being tied to a railroad. You're being put in a module. Um. No, this but, module just happens to have a freight train bearing down on it with no hope of escape. But, you know, it's still just a module. It, it, it's a module. It's just a module that is very specifically set on a lightning rail. Um, <laughs> but it's and and there are times like uh, like I said, there's always going to be there's well, not always. Thank God. Not always. But. There will always be those players out there, maybe not in your games, but those players out there who want to do something that is going to drastically re, re, redirect your game in ways you don't want it to go be for a number of reasons. Usually in this case, it's because it turns that player into the focus of the game and completely leaves everybody else, forces everybody else to come with you. Whatever the reason, though. Um, it's okay to say no to that, but don't, don't do the thing that I've seen a lot of people do, which is 
try and handle it strictly in game of no you can't do that because this reason no you can't do making up bullshit reasons on the fly why that doesn't work and then them not getting it and constantly trying to find the reason until at one point you just explode on the person and say no it's not happening it's okay to have the, to to have those discussions take place in an out of character context in a meta perspective of look mm-hmm. that's going to take this game somewhere where i don't think you know uh, i'm not comfortable taking the game that this way um i don't think it'll necessarily be as fun for everybody else whatever the reason have those discussions which is something that i don't think at least from what i've seen in in not only my own games but but uh, and games i've played in but in a lot of history and of people talking about their games and 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 things you know communities online and stuff there is not nearly enough talking a talking about the games in a reasonable aspect from a okay let's take a step back let's let's talk about where we're going with this game and what we want to do with it yeah because it's perfectly acceptable to you know as someone who's leading the construction of of a narrative to say that you have objectives or or intentions for this narrative that you're that you're taking point on mm-hmm. as long as you communicate those to your players and everybody's on the same page and is willing to say okay yeah no i might have other ideas but if this is the main thrust or theme or track that you want the the story to roughly adhere to we'll try and follow that in a in a in a reasonably symmetrical manner. Yep, that's why things like setting expectations. Being an adult. Mm. Yep, that's why things like setting expectations, communicating the mood and themes of your game, basically session zeros. That's why right. session zeros are so goddamn useful because you can very clearly communicate. I am looking at this game as something that is more intrigue oriented, or I'm looking at this game as something that is more combat oriented, um, more dungeon delving and exploration. Or if your players know that and they're not assholes, they're much more likely to say, oh, okay, I understand why in this game where we're going to be mostly exploring tombs you don't want me to 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 go into an in-depth inquisitive type investigation of this sideline that i drew that that you dropped in an exposition dump about how the prince of of what the fuck is stan got assassinated um yeah there is virtue in sticking to the point. Yep. Unless the point is like mine, which is mostly just an improv game of how 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 far can I go before I lose track of these fuckers? 
<laughs> no, because that's the point, and we've been sticking to that, dude. Yep. <laughs> I don't think anybody is in confusion about the 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 direction of Grand Terra, <laughs> and we all appreciate it, and we all operate firmly within those bounds. <laughs> What's the name of that castle you want to build? <laughs> castle Mayhem. Yep. Anyways. And that is the name. I don't care what anybody else says. That <laughs> oh, will yeah, always yeah. be the name. It's going over it's go, it's going over the gate. So <laughs> written in the arms of people we've killed. Back in critical role. <laughs> The party make their way through the tunnel from Grayskull Keep to Amon, where they are where they are greeted uh, by the smoky, orky silhouette of one Garthok, played by Jason Charles Miller, uh, aka Hagrim Hopebreaker, Terath the Steady, Rauban Aldin, uh, Blood Mage Thalnos, Acolyte of Pain. Uh, guard number two, tattooed man, Mars Knight, and most relevant to this podcast, Drist Duerden. Fuck you. Fuck God you. damn it. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, I love uh, it when a plan comes together. <laughs> hate you so much. <laughs> Let it be known to all and sundry that we have a great deal of respect for Jason Charles Miller, his Absolutely. vocal talents, his musical abilities. We admire the man. We just regret <laughs> that his good name has been sullied with the affiliation of a subpar character from a slightly hack novelist. Look, sometimes you just have to take jobs you're not necessarily proud of. Right, uh, exactly. I'm going to attribute that to this. It's important for an artist to be able to keep himself in groceries, and sometimes that means you have to voice terrible people. Worth noting that he is the voice of Dristu Erden in the hit massively multiplayer online RPG Dungeons and Dragons Neverwinter. Yes, sure. But this is our this is our world where th having anything to do with Trista Worden is something that you should you should keep on the very last line of your resume. Um, that on that page that you hide in the back of your in the back of your 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 desk. And when I say desk, I mean uh, 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 under a rock in your Basement. In your dumpster, yes, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. He also played. It's also, it's also it's also it's also the world wherein other things were also very popular and shitty. Uh, he, True he, that. He, he also <laughs> he also played dancing albino assassin, very good, and Doctor Ronald Isosceles in various other titles. Dr. Ronald Isosceles sounds like the the pseudonym for Pyramid Head. Also, High Commander Goodchild, which is just a funny name. Especially considering what series that's from. Anyway, so they meet Garthok. 
Oh. And he's also the lead singer of, of Godhead. He is also the lead singer of Godhead and uh, the musical composer for Critical Role's theme song. As well as a bunch of other things. Yep. The man is prolific. I would give yes. him that. <laughs> Extremely. Uh, but yes. Uh, they meet uh, Garthok, Jason Charles Miller, uh, who uh, pr- who first sort of introduces himself by speaking in Thieves' Cant to the two people, well, to the one person that can understand Thieves' Cant, and also, incidentally, to the other person in the party that can understand Thieves' Cant, though not intending it to go to her, uh, Vex and Vax. Uh, before revealing himself to be a, mem- a member of the Clasp, who was above ground when Thordak and the dragons hit, and who has been trying to find his way back underground uh, while also trying not to get eaten alive by a dragon. Uh, Yay, organized crime. The group, yep. un- the group understanding that the Clasp is a organization that could be of some use, assuming that it survived, uh, plus uh, Talazin... Uh, uh, rambling off some very convincing bullshit about the reasons why big cities allow criminal organizations to run freely. <laughs> um, uh, convince the party that they should seek out the clasp with the aid of Garthok, which they begin doing, but not before first stopping at uh, Gilmore's glorious goods to see if they can find Gilmore at said person's glorious goods. Upon arriving, they discover that it is being ransacked by people who are seeking tribute for the dragon. Uh, they fight. A fight happens. In which Keyleth hits herself with her own lightning bolt. Which is intentional. Fully intentional. Uh, and also does, uh, and, and then turns into a tiger and mauls the fuck out of a dude. Um... Sorry, were, were, you, were you adding on something, Jeremy? No, no. I was just, I mean, you know, sometimes you, some, sometimes you got to bolt. Sometimes so. you got to make an entrance. I mean, it's, it's true. It was, it's entirely for thematic purposes, uh, entirely for aesthetic purposes, and if nothing else, I always approve of actions taken that are entirely for aesthetic purposes. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Regardless of the result. Um, they, they make... It's a surprisingly long fight, but they still, in context of the world around them, make short work of these looters. Um, uh, which results in all but two of them dead. One under mind, one mind controlled by Scanlan, the other knocked outside, knocked unconscious outside by Vax. Interestingly, uh, 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 any and all voice, any and all uh, voices that may have previously said, "Why are we killing these random people?" were not voiced uh, in this <laughs> in this fight, especially not when uh, when uh, the local Goliath uh, uh, Grog split a man in two from groin to skull. I mean, they were looting their friend's place. <laughs> All the justification to be, in the world. To be fair, the guy, the guy, the guy that he bisected still survived. He just has to hop everywhere now. No, he didn't. <laughs> that is a lie. But it's a funny mental image. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrifying mental image. It's like a worm. Cut it in half. It both both sides work independently. Not at all how this works. 
It's not how worms work either. No. But <laughs> certainly not when he split them longwise. Amoebas. I'm pretty sure amoebas are the only thing that works. Yeah. Anyways. They just wiped the floor with these guys and learned that yep. they were uh, they were gathering tribute for Thordak and that they had been storing it all nearby, which immediately sets Vex's money dollar sign eyes ablaze. Um, the group then continue on looking uh, into the into the building before finding Sheila uh, and another woman that they don't recognize immediately. Uh, a bunch of kids and Gilmore. They are informed rapidly that this is the wife of Emperor Uriel and his children, as well as Sheila and Gilmore. I, I'm i trying to think, is there a reason they didn't recognize uh, them immediately? You mean Sherry? Sherry. I keep saying Sheila. Sherry. Yes. I don't know why I'm saying Sheila instead of Sherry. <laughs> I mean, I was with you there for a second. I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Yep. That's mostly because when I say things that are wrong, I say it with such conviction that you doubt your own brain. <laughs> or that you just don't pay attention enough, because this is obviously a person who knows what he's talking about, so I'm thinking about other things. Like, yeah. for instance, why they didn't recognize the Queen of Amman? Well, that's fairly obvious. When you mostly see someone in court, probably wearing robes of state, or at least something semi-formal, and most likely fairly well-groomed and put together, and then you stumble across her as a refugee, having simply <laughs> marginally escaped an assassination attempt by, oh, I don't know, four dragons of unusual size. She's probably not looking her best, and I'll be somewhat unrecognizable. That would be my explanation. If I had to offer one. I mean, and also authority figures, particularly ones that you might not be dealing directly with. You don't tend to, we don't tend to, people don't tend to spend much time focusing on who they are as people. Now, I would agree with both of those points, if not for one salient bit of information. Prior to the show, these very same adventurers had rescued these very same people from an assassination attempt by a demon. You're not wrong. I don't know any of the details of that, but from what I understand, they mostly fought the demon. I don't know that they necessarily, like, rest... I feel like they intercepted the demon as it attacked. I don't know. Maybe. You could be right. Either way, they still would have seen these previously established figures up close and unglorious. <laughs> I don't know that they were unglorious in that situation. My understanding of it was it was in the throne room that this happened. Maybe. Okay. That, and that, that they were still, yeah, anyway. Either way, it is amusing to me that they did not recognize the emperor, the empress of Teldo, of of Iman. Uh, yeah. but that is quickly rectified as they as they gather everyone, heal Gilmore, and learn that Gilmore had escaped with the children and and lady, uh, only to later go back and try to find Uriel, only to then find Uriel's body 
fallen in the chaos. dead. Having confirmed that the Emperor is dead, and also, really, Jeremy, is that the thing you want to go womp womp to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is really the thing I want to go womp womp to. What else would I go womp womp to? Certainly there are things that would be horribly inappropriate to go womp womp to, and I would not do it at those. <laughs> such as, you know, such as a lawyer talking about their client's sexual assault, for instance. No, no. No, no, that wasn't no, no. the situation. I know, no, I know. No, it was, yeah, no. It, it, was, it, was... it, it was somehow, if you can believe it, worse. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Yep, it was. <laughs> what we're saying that, is... That, that soundbite for the next three years will forever be burned in our memory as, oh, someone has made that noise? I'd better go back and listen very closely to what they were saying it in response to to make sure they're not an <laughs> asshole of a human. What we're saying is we should probably put a kibosh on Womp Womp as a sound effect for at least... <laughs> Four more years. Fuck that news. I'm <laughs> taking it back. <laughs> reclaiming the womp womp. Reclaiming womp womp. Hashtag reclaim womp womp. Yes! <laughs> Hashtag not only assholes. <laughs> not a womp womp. What were we talking about? <laughs> The Emperor is dead. Ariel's dead. That's it. Womp womp. Okay. Uh, Gilmore found Uriel dead, rescued the people, got injured. Pike heals him. He's doing better. Not great, but better than dying. Um and the group. Uh, decide to go split up and go two different ways. One, uh, Vex, Vax, Garthok, and Scanlan are going to head towards the towards the clasp because Garthok needs to get back to the clasp um, and try to find the money that was taken from Gilmore, the the stuff that was taken from Gilmore's and stashed elsewhere. Which uh, Keela thinks is a bad idea. Everyone else thinks is everyone else but Vax thinks is a good idea, and Vax is going along with it because he doesn't want Vex to be alone. Um, the rest of the party, meanwhile, will be taking uh, Gilmore, uh, 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 I can never remember her name, but, uh, uh, the, the, the queen, empress, lady, her children, and Sherry. Salda. Salda. Uh, uh, her children and Sherry back to, to Castle Grayskull for safety. Um... Vax and Vex and Scanlan uh, arrive at the well, having parted with Garthok when he got close. Oh, no, no, it was on the way. Uh, Garthok was with them still. Uh, the, the group of them got to the well, uh, where they found that all of the things that had been stored there had been taken away. Um, they attempted to track it a little bit further, but they determined that it had definitively been taken to Thordak. Meanwhile, with the other group... On the way back to Castle Grayskull, they were encounter they were uh jumped by some looters who wanted to steal all their stuff to give to Thordak, who were promptly uh told to fuck off. Uh, <laughs> the saddest looters that ever looted. By Keyleth just smashing one of them into a wall, 
uh, Grog drawing his sword and roaring like a barbarian, and Gilmore putting on a display of magic before asking, are you really sure you want to die? The looter said no, ran away, and the party continued on before making it to the, t the secret tunnel, again, inserting reference, um, and making their way back to Grayskull Keep, where they were situated in safety. And so, with the, with the Emperor's family safe in Grayskull Keep, uh, and the uh, stealthier party depositing Garthok with his clasped brethren, uh, with the knowledge that they will see each other again soon, is where the episode ended. And where we end. With any final thoughts coming from the peanut gallery. Pretty much mostly that Garthok was an excellent character concept. He had some very interesting, iconic sort of aspects to him. And I feel he was unfairly underutilized during this entire episode. But that happens sometimes. Yeah, I mean, he, he came at a point where... Adding a member, uh, adding adding a you know a a a full fledged appearance by a guest character who comes from a not entirely trustworthy source sort of doomed his role in the episode to being somewhat limited. I think was the problem. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, I really like I I I I enjoyed got out of Garthak, but we only got enough to where we I I I definitely felt like we should have had more without any chance to be really satisfied for what we did get cuz there just wasn't enough there. Yeah. It's also a thing where, you know, the in this he came in at the wrong time like narratively like constructed narratively wise mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. him to have been a central figure to the story at this point yes because he came in before they found gilmore and before all of this other things that they had to get done before they could then focus on his aspect yep um and so it ended up being more of a cameo appearance than a guest really um where he just showed up Helped kill some dudes, then fucked off. Which is, you know, is is enough to say, hey, we want to see Jason Charles Miller, voice of famed voice of Drist Du Erden, back on the show, uh, but not enough to where it feels like a very satisfying guest appearance. Exactly. All right. Well. Uh, so yeah, that's it for episode 42 of Critical Thinking, which is episode 41 of Critical Role. Next week, we're coming back with Dangerous Dealings as we continue on with the names that sound like they really should be uh, from a different show. Dangerous Dealings <laughs> to me feels like it's a heist movie or like a, or like a, like a, like a heist episode of, a, of like a TV crime procedure or something like that. Or like a episode of leverage yeah something along those lines anyways 
that's it for now. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>